Good morning, how are you today? Songs for all seasons as we uh, jump into another cracking good psalm this morning. Uh, I hope that you will open your heart to what it is that God wants to say to you. Songs for all seasons, what's your favourite uh, song at the moment? Isn't it such a wonderful privilege to live in a time where thousands of gifted musos write us new songs of praise and worship each year? And um, Psalm 19 uh, is a psalm of David, uh, you know, a song of David. Um, as I've been reading reading it and rereading it this last week, it sort of breaks in my mind into three sort of sections. The first section or part which paints a powerful picture of the heavens and gives glory to God for the heavens. The second part that draws a really strong comparison between the glory of God's word and the glory of the heavens. And then the final section to me seems to be a cry of the heart to reflect personally on that together. So let's start off by reading this psalm together, the lyrics of an ancient song. How about I just pray? Lord, we invite you into our space this morning. Lord, we invite your word to instruct us. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to bring alive something precious, something personal for us today that we can take out into this week. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, let's jump into it. Psalm 19. I'm reading it from the NCV. I, I read a number of versions. I quite like the NCV, uh, the New Century version. It's, uh, it's not too wordy, uh, suitable for kids, uh, but it still keeps pretty tight to the, you know, the literal meaning. So anyway, I chose that one this morning. Uh, not, I'm not sure what you were reading from. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day, they tell the story. Night after night, they tell it again. They have no speech or words. They have no voice to be heard, but their message goes out through all the world. Their words go everywhere on earth. The sky is like a home for the sun. The sun comes out like a bridegroom from his bedroom. It rejoices like an athlete eager to run a race. The sun rises at one end of the sky and follows its path to the other end. Nothing hides from its heat. The teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. Respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are completely right. They are worth more than gold, even the purest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even the finest honey. By them your servant is warned. Keeping them brings great reward. People cannot see their own mistakes. Forgive me for my secret sins. Keep me from the sins of pride. Don't let them rule over me. Then I can be pure and innocent of the greatest sins. I hope my words and my thoughts please you, Lord. You are my rock, the one who saves me. I hope my words and thoughts please you. Lord, you are my rock, the one who saves. Many of us will be more familiar with a, a more uh, traditional rendering like the King James, which beautifully puts it this way, that last verse, that final prayer of David. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Beautiful. So uh, let's just jump through it, eh? Uh, part one, God's glory is revealed in creation. And, and David here sets up a powerful metaphor for the second and third parts of this psalm. I grew up uh, in a beautiful part of the world, enjoying the natural world, but not giving 
any glory to God for the world around me. What about you? Was that, was that your experience? It's an irony uh, in our modern world that we know so much more about the universe and its awesome size and its complexity, and yet this modern generation is possibly more inclined to look at the universe and not attribute it to God than perhaps any generation before it. It's ironic because we have so many more reasons to see how complex things really are. And with the fractional difference of dozens of things in this, in this universe, life would not be possible, let alone here on planet Earth. I want to first show you a short video from uh, William Lane Craig's ministry, Reasonable Faith. You can get onto the website there. I encourage you to do it. I want to point you towards that. There's some great resources to watch and develop your thinking or point out to those who currently don't believe but have a seeking heart towards God. I've truncated the video for by a few minutes just for the sake of time so that you get the gist. And at the end of it, the experts quoted later in the video are renowned in their field and they're not from a Christian stable. The point here is that many physicists and astronomers cannot reconcile what they're measuring and computing without there being something other than blind chance behind our universe. The intelligent design movement is not fundamentally a movement of people of faith. It's begun by as a movement of people who are moving towards faith because of what they were discovering in their fields of science. And some of the guys that are quoted at the end of this video end up landing in the multiverse camp, you know, believing, oh, that this universe is so complex. It must be one of billions and billions and billions of universes, and we were the one that just got lucky. And some are actually even moved into fields of, of SETI, the for extraterrestrial life because their whole mindset is this is all so complicated that something must be going on. So they're not, they're not, it hasn't necessarily moved them towards faith. But I think Psalm 19 nails it in those first couple of verses when it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day they tell the story. Night after night they tell it again. Let's watch the video and uh, see how you enjoy that. From galaxies and stars, down to atoms and subatomic particles, the very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed to an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered by even a hair's breadth, no physical, interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, no planets, no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life-permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body, or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments, the universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form, 
and life couldn't exist. Or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result. No stars, no planets, and no life. Or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant, a change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would again be life prohibiting. Or another example of fine tuning. If the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these and many other numbers have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. Wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine-tuning. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. If anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he's hiding his head in the sand. These special features are surprising and unlikely. What is the best explanation for this astounding phenomenon? There are three live options. The fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. Which of these options is the most plausible? Given the implausibility of physical necessity or chance, the best explanation for why the universe is fine-tuned for life may very well be it was designed that way. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintellect monkeyed with physics and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it uh, you know, provoked your thinking. Uh, I certainly encourage you to get onto the Reasonable Faith um, uh, website and investigate the resources are there, that are there. They're very helpful, I think, in, in helping us to understand the other side of many of the things that we're presented. Hey, um, I don't know if you've been out walking much lately, but uh, I've heard a few people saying that they've been going for, uh, you know, using the, the, the COVID freedoms to um, exercise in town. You know, when I walk uh, past the old Newcastle office, uh, uh, the, sorry, the Newcastle post office in town. I don't, I don't look at that and, and go, wow, look at that. That's a very interesting sandstone rock formation. No, when I, um, when I see the post office in town, I look at that and I see a wonderful piece of architecture, engineering and workmanship. You know, as humans, we immediately recognise design all around us in the things that intelligent people design and build, buildings, vehicles, electronics. 
But these things are actually billions of times simpler, less complex than the machinery that allows a bee to fly or a tree to grow, or, to, or for me to see the bee um, or the tree, let alone uh, talk about it with you. Uh, here's the point. The, the point is that in here, you have the most complicated thing known in the universe. Well, maybe yours isn't the most complicated, but it's one of the seven billion most um, complicated. You know, uh, God, God needs to be glorified for the beauty and the complexity of the things that are seen. I put it to you that this is an expression actually of rejecting God and in creation of our human pride, that we can't contemplate, let alone believe, that all this complexity and order came out of nothing by nothing. I mean, you know, to attribute... Uh, this complexity to nothing is quite a statement of faith. Surely the attitude in doing that is actually about, is all about taking God off the throne in our life and simply putting ourselves on the throne in our lives. And here we are sitting on the throne in our life precariously on the throne that, that God is actually meant to sit in. Someone once said, human hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This idea of God being visible in everything that is made is testified really well in the New Testament as well. In uh, Romans 1.20, it says, God can be clearly perceived by the things that he has made. A free-flowing translation of Romans 1.18-20 reads this way, Just as the order, precision and enormous complexity of the physical universe reveals the glory and excellence of the Creator, so the vast heavenly expanse conspicuously displays the work of God's hand. And though mankind may suppress this constant narrative through willful ignorance, people are forever without excuse, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. That's Romans 1, 18 to 20. God's power is presently on display in the sky above us right now. You can stick your head out the door and see it if you like. Every day his wordless message goes out. And so Psalm 19 begins with creation, the skies, the heavens, and how God reveals his glory through them. But that's not really the main point. The song starts here with the heavens and the sun because the heavens are going to be used figuratively, a metaphoric window for something even greater, something to be compared with them, but something that's even greater. And so as we get to the end of this first section, the sun is metaphorically described as being like a young man fresh from his first night of marriage springing up to the new day. Um, that image might resonate with a few of us, uh, some, of our, some of the younger men in our, um, uh, our congregation who can still remember that first day after marriage clearly. And, and the second image is of a strong athlete springing out of the blocks, eager to run the race. And I think that's a strong image for us too, just coming out of the Olympic season, isn't it? Those fit uh, young people who have trained and trained for this day with a, the great hope of winning the medal, springing forth with all of their might. Let's reread 5 and 6 again. The sun comes out like a bridegroom from his bedroom. It rejoices like an athlete eager to run a race. The sun rises at one end of the sky and follows its path to the other end. Nothing hides from its heat. 
The sun springs forth, bringing joy, light, warmth to our day. I'm sure you've experienced this. The sun is put there by God, bringing a wordless message every day. But then at verse 7, the text abruptly changes as the second section in this song uh, continues. I don't know, maybe this is the chorus of the song. Of course, all of those details are lost to us. And the lyrics of this perhaps chorus, the wordless heavens are a picture of this very wordful message. The wordless heavens are a picture of this wordful measure that God gives to us, his commands, the scripture, his written word. And so from uh, verse 7, it jumps straight into talking about God's laws and his commands, his written words. It's as if David is saying, creation tells us so much about God but his word tells us so much more. And it's beautiful and it seems pretty obvious that the psalmist is drawing a parallel between the sun and what the sun gives us and God's word and what it gives us. Let's catch it, capture a couple of words here. The sun, it, it, oh, sorry, God's word, it refreshes our soul. It gives us strength. It makes simple people wise. So it, it, it brings wisdom or enlightenment. It brings a joy to the heart. It brings happiness. It gives light to the eyes. It gives us an understanding, a clarity. All of these things, I think, are parallels to what the sun brings into our physical world. And so in the same way that the sun springs forth and lights up our day and warms us, God's word spiritually does the same thing. Creation reveals God's glory and so God's word is compared and likened to the sun. Let's, um, let's pull apart a little bit some of what these words say. So I've, um, I've colour-coded this a little bit so you can see it there and you, you should be able to see that on the, on the, on the screen. The teach, so I'm just going to read that section 7 to 9. The teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. Respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. Beautiful words about God's word. Um, so uh, the, the, the words that are coloured there in black, are like all, they're all like synonyms. Uh, the, 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 the poet is, is using words that are very similar, and I don't think we're meant to differentiate those. That's just different ways of telling us what God's words do. They teach us their rules, their orders, their commands. And so we get a picture there that he's talking about all of the different aspects of God's word into our life. And then the words there that I've put in blue, the qualities of God's word. They're perfect. They can be trusted. They're right. They're pure. And then the words there in green give us an idea of what God's word actually does in our life. The first one gives new strength. That's a little bit like that, you know, that, that sun coming up, isn't it? You know, and the, the sun's up and you wake and you go, I want to get into the new day. No, that's not everybody's experience, but we all know that experience. It empowers us into the new day. His words give us new strength. It's compared to the sun. It makes people, um, it makes simple people or plain people wise. The sun opens our eyes to be able to see things, doesn't it? That in the dark we can't, we can't see. It's a clarity that's created by the dawning sun is being compared here to how God's word makes plain people wise. It makes people happy. I think we all experience that, don't they? The warmth of the sun cheers us up after the night comes the morning. And the commands of the Lord are pure. They light up our way. This is kind of, a, a again, I think a picture of how we can navigate our way properly as the sun gets up into full, full light. We can see everything and we can plan our day and work ahead. 
I feel like verse 9 is kind of almost like, uh, you know, a sigh is in, is in front of it. Ah, oh, yes, Lord, the respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. David, having written these, written these lyrics about God's word, it's, oh, yes, respect for you, Lord. It's good. It goes on forever. And so we go from this beautiful description of what the, what the word actually brings into our lives. And the psalm goes on into a final section, which I'd more describe as a personal reflection on how we now, having seen that, having seen the beauty of God's word, how we should cherish it in our lives. Verse 9, I think that aha sort of moment in the psalm, oh yes Lord, respect for the Lord is good, it will last forever, springs us off into this next bit. This final section gives us two more beautiful figurative pictures of God's word. The, the first metaphor of the sun has only gone so far because it talks about what God's word does in our life, but this this, this last section is like a personal response. It begins with a summary of the four things. Not only are God's words perfect, trusted, right and pure, but the last part of uh, verse 9 imitates that same structure. The judgments of the Lord are true and they're completely right. And then we get these two beautiful figure, um, figures of speech or pictures. They are worth more than gold, even the purest gold. They are sweeter than honey even the finest honey. They're more desirable than the finest gold and they're sweeter than the purest honey. They're not, we're not just talking about any old gold here or any old honey. We're talking here about the finest gold and the purest honey. Stop and think for a moment about the potency of these two images to the ancient mind. David the shepherd, perhaps under the stars one night, playing with his harp, shaping this song, letting the lyrics take shape, maybe you know, around about a thousand years before Jesus was born. We're talking ancient times here. And in this ancient time, uh, this ancient world, gold is one of the only metals that appears on the face of the earth in its natural state. And not just in its natural state, but it's shiny and it's malleable. It can be beaten into different shapes. And by this stage, uh, they knew how to melt it. You know, they could make fires hot enough to melt it and mold it and beat it and shape it into beautiful things. There were not many things like this uh, in the ancient world. We're probably pretty spoilt for choice. And so David says, your word is more precious than gold. Gold was the product for kings. For the average person, it was a rare material, a special material for tokens of love or, or for a memorial of something beautiful. Your word is more precious than gold. And then let's think about honey in a world without sugar. Most societies didn't have access to the sweet things like you and I do. Do you find it incredible to realise that just a few hundred years ago, chocolate was unknown in almost the whole of the world except for a small part of South America? We are so spoilt for choice for things that taste good on our, on our lips, taste sweet on our lips. Uh, fruits at this, you know, and in the ancient world offered a certain amount of sweetness, but head and shoulders above those things was the beautiful taste of honey, the sweetness of honey, and had to be harvested at some personal risk, I might add. And so when we think about the way the 
you know, the word of God is described to these two things and actually imagine what that meant uh, in the mouth of David as he sang this song. I think it gives us a beautiful picture. Um, some versions translate the word precious to desirable. It's desirable like gold, sweeter than honey. We get this beautiful idea that God's words are meant to be precious to us, desirable to us, sweet to us. And um, so then having gone and set up this new metaphor about the way God's word should be cherished, um, the, the, um, we move into verse 11. And David uh, sings, By them your servant is warned. Um, keeping them, keeping your commands, keeping your word brings great reward. People cannot see their own mistakes. Forgive me for my secret sins. Keep me from the sins of pride. Don't let them rule me. Then I can be pure and innocent of the greatest sins. I hope my words and thoughts please you, Lord. You are my rock, the one who saves me. And you can, you can hear this beautiful personally, you know, now applying the things that have been in that first and second section of the psalm. But verse 11, by them your servant is warned. You know, one of the great principles of parenting uh, is that you need a carrot and you need a stick, don't you? And verse 11 captures that about God's word. By your word, Lord, I am warned. There's the stick. Here's the things that are going to happen if I don't follow your word. But keeping them bring great, brings great reward. And so we see in God's word this warning, this stick, but also this promise of something good, this great reward, the carrot that moves us towards the things that God wants us. Verse 12 um, by implication, um, God's word allows us to see our own er errors uh, and thereby keep us from falling into things that we, um, you know, we otherwise would be hidden from us. You know, David's saying here, I find it hard. I find it hard to see my own faults, Lord, but your word, your word opens up my own faults to me. God's word lights up those pitfalls so that we can avoid those pitfalls. And often the pitfall isn't a hole out there. Often the pitfall is actually a hole in here. It's a jealousy that we're hiding in our heart. It's an anger or it's a vanity. Uh, verse 13, God's word gives us power over willful sin. And somehow God's word, if we're, if we're meditating on it and letting it wash over it at those times where we just find that rebelliousness within us, you know, we just want to move into something that we know is wrong, uh, that somehow God's word actually gives us strength. It gives us power over willful sin. Isn't that, aren't these three things beautiful? You know, it brings great reward. It warns us. Uh, it helps us to see our own errors. And it also gives us power over our willful sin. And so we come to verse 14, a summary pet prayer. Um, beautiful. And maybe not captured in the NCV as beautifully as it is in um, you know, some of those older versions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. As we finish our time together today, I just thought perhaps I would read this psalm to you one more time and then perhaps I could ask you to say those words um, let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord my strength my redeemer perhaps I can invite you to say just where you are today just say those words with me at the end of the psalm as a prayer I'll just read one more time just let the Holy Spirit maybe close your eyes just let the Holy Spirit point out you know that one precious thing for you for the director of music a psalm of David 
The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day they tell the story, night after night they tell it again. They have no speech or words, they have no voice to be heard, but their message goes out through all the world, their words go everywhere on earth. The sky is like a home for the sun, the sun comes out like a bridegroom from his bedroom. It rejoices like an athlete eager to run a race. The sun rises at one end of the sky and follows its path to the other end. Nothing hides from its heat. The teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. Respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are completely right. They are worth more than gold, even the purest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even the finest of honey. By them your servant is warned. Keeping them brings great reward. People cannot see their own mistakes. Forgive me for my secret sins. Keep me from the sins of pride. Don't let them rule over me. Then I can be pure and innocent of the greatest sins. I hope my words and my thoughts please you, O Lord. Lord, you are my rock, the one who saves me. So maybe say these words with me that are on the screen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Hey, as we continue this season, strange season uh, in our lives, can I keep encouraging you, carve out time for the Lord. Uh, spend time uh, in both of his great books, the great book of creation. You know, get out of the house, go for a walk, take that half an hour, ask God to show you things in creation that stimulate your imagination and help you to understand what he might be wanting to speak into your life today. And get back into the Bible. Um, you know, can I encourage you to read one or two Psalms uh, each week, maybe work your way through one of the Gospels or something like that. Just take that 10, 15 minutes, read it, read it a couple of times and ask God, what is it that you want to say into my life. Lord, what are my marching orders? Who should I give a call to? Who can I encourage? What can I be doing that uh, invests greater in my family or in my life? Ask him those questions. God has written two great books. We need to tap into them and I encourage you to do that day by day. Uh, songs for every season. Cheers.